Hello, kia ora, and welcome to In Pursuit of Purpose with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. Inga mana, inga reo, inga karangatanga maha, fakarongo kitetangi, inga manu e karanganai, tuia kironga, tuia kiraro, tuia kiwaho, tuia kiroto, tuia nga here tangata, karongo te po, karongo te ao, tihei mauri ora. Nau mai, hare mai pikina mai, uh, ko Amanda Reid tokuangua, e mahi ana au hei kairangahau ki bel. I'm Amanda Reid and I'm a senior researcher at Bill. Kia ora koutou and welcome to our webinar today, where as part of Bill's pro bono mahi, we'll be taking a deeper look at how the kaupapa of organisations may be more explicitly communicated and understood. We're intentionally using the word kaupapa rather than purpose to place us within Aotearoa and to consider our responsibility for how businesses operate in Aotearoa. Uh, te mea tuatahi, just a little Zoom housekeeping first. We'll be using both the Q&A and the chat functions today. We'd like to encourage you to use the Q&A to ask questions of our panelists and to look at the questions that others are asking. If you're interested in the answer to any questions, hit like and that will help us prioritise when we come to the Q&A portion of our time together. I uh, would also like to encourage you to use the chat function. Both the Q&A and chat functions are at the bars below. If you're on your phone, Q&A will be um, up on the top somewhere. Um, but in the chat function, this is for comments, adding links and asking any technical questions, like if you're having any Zoom issues. Uh, my colleague Conrad will be monitoring this and will be able to help you there. So panellist questions and Q&A and technical questions in Kōrero and the chat function. Uh, in INA, I'd like to introduce our three panellists, our thought leaders for today's webinar. First, I'd love to welcome Tracy Haupapa, named as one of the uh, top 10 most influential women in New Zealand agribusiness, BBC's 100 most influential women in the world. Um, Tracy is an award-winning company director and a recognised industry leader. She is a trusted advisor to Māori, government and public and private sector entities on strategic and economic development and is known for her clear focus on building the wealth and prosperity of Aotearoa New Zealand. Tracy is a chartered fellow on the Institute of Directors, making her a nationally recognised role model for other directors and business leaders. She is also the chair of FOMA, the Federation of Māori Authorities. Kia ora, Tracy. And Tim Jones. Tim specialises in working with individuals and organisations to help them tap into their purpose fueled performance, um, assisting them in the transition to becoming a force for good, hence his business name, Grow Good. Uh, as a B Corp ambassador for Aotearoa, his New Zealand was one of uh, his business is one of New Zealand's founding B Corp. His purpose-focused consulting, coaching, and training programs are 
specially designed for those who want to use their skills to achieve meaningful goals in life and work. More recently, he's been co-teaching the University of Canterbury's MBA program, Creating Impact-Led Enterprises. Morena, Tim. Kia ora. And um, yeah, after Tracy's introduction, I feel very minuscule in the world of co-papa and purpose. <laughs> thanks for having me be a part of this. Kia Finally, Louise Aitken. Louise is a strong advocate for social responsibility and impact and is driven to make meaningful change by putting positive impact at the heart of our economy. As the CEO of Akina, she leads a talented and passionate team of impact, procurement, investment and consulting experts, providing support, capability and thought leadership both across New Zealand and internationally. She sits on the board of the Impact Enterprise Fund, which is New Zealand's first impact investment fund, and is on the National Advisory Board for Impact Investing Network, Aotearoa New Zealand. That's a long name. Kia ora, Louise. Tēnā Amanda, and yeah, you know, such a joy to be here and um, to be with the Kaupapa Fano of New Zealand. So really great to um, you know, join Tim and Tracy uh, for this karero. So thanks so much for, for inviting me along. Uh, kia ora hoa. So we want to get into the, right into the juicy stuff, into the, the partai of the day. Uh, so I'm gonna oh, chuck it out there. Um, what makes a business Kaupapa led and how does the world know? Who's going to put their hand up for that first? Okay, I'm, I'm willing to jump in. Um, I think that part of the challenge is it's, it's um, when, you, when people hear the word purpose or kaupapa, what, what does it actually mean? Like there's been Simon Sinek and the whole, you know, find your why, but what, what, is, what is the why? What does it even mean? And for me, the best way to boil it down to is, is your purpose, your kaupapa, is what is your contribution? And is it a positive contribution? Because you can contribute to society um, in a negative way and the planet in a negative way. And so for me, that's at the heart of it is, is what good are you doing in your existence as either an individual or an organization? And then the, the proof is, well, exactly that. How, how are you proving you're doing that? And, and for me, there's, that's where the certification things like B Corp come in, where you can say, well, we, we claim we're doing this and here's the evidence to say that we are doing it. But I think beyond that, it you can you can sense the organizations that are truly doing it and are truly committed to doing it. And I think lockdown globally proved a lot of organizations who were claiming that they were wanting to contribute positively to a, a group of stakeholders. But when it came down to it, the hard economic reality, that all went out the window and it was no, it's, it's all about money. So that's my two cents. <laughs> uh Thanks. It's always good to go second, and, and Tracy, you'll probably say it's always good to go third. Um, I think that you know, for for us and and the mahi that we do here in Aotearoa, and very similar to Tim, is you know, how can we walk alongside organisations for them to understand authentically the change that they can make and the contributions that they can to the society and the environment that we all deserve. Um, I think COVID nineteen more than any time showed us that businesses are just a collection of people. Um, they are people who deeply care for 
what is going on around them at an individual level and more and more the, the organisations are tapping into that as employee, uh, from their employees, from their investors, from their customers, from their stakeholders, from the communities in which they operate. And Kaupapa is the absolute foundation of that. And so how can organisations be authentic in talking about what is their positive contribution to the solutions that we all need? And COVID certainly put a spotlight on many of them because unfortunately for many, um, it re, you know, people realised that these solutions, these problems didn't, weren't caused by COVID. <laughs> they were already here and many of them have just had a very, very bright spotlight put on them, um, particularly inequality and particularly food sovereignty as an example. So with organisations, how do they know? And as Tim said, is what's the evidence that you might have? And the evidence could be as simple as a story of somebody. It doesn't need to be a university um, approved research paper. It could just be the stories of the change that you're making from the viewpoint of the person who is benefiting from that change. And that's for us what real authentic kaupapa is. And also recognising the other really important part of it, it is a journey. And so what we try to do is get organisations to understand where, what steps are they on of that journey? And it might be the first step and that's great. And to celebrate that because we, we live in a time and particularly here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that we don't want to blow our own trumpets. We don't want to put ourselves at any risk of saying that we're not at the end place yet. And so we wait. And then everybody thinks nobody else is doing it. So what we want to do is help people understand that it's okay to talk about the journey towards being a kaupapa-led organisation and that their journey is as important to share as the destination that they're aiming to. And so that's what I think is really at the heart of it, is authentic, communicated kaupapa. Um, kia ora no tato. So <clears throat> agreeing and supporting uh, with the genius and brilliance from my colleagues Tim and Lou on this, Amanda. I suppose the other thing that I'm mindful of as a director and as leaders of organisations, people and communities, you know, our role really is to think about how our activities uh, might positively, uh, sustainably and in, in an intergenerational focus uh help our people and do you know for a long time new zealand has bandied about that whakatauraki which is which is what's the most important thing in the world is people the measurement of how we treat our people is how we operate our businesses how we set our strategies and our future direction and how we measure those outcomes or return on investment whether that's financially, whether that's time, whether that's support, whether that's creating a space for our teams, our people, our leaders existing and emerging to grow. And I think that real co-pucker approach is balancing out all of the well-beings or the stratagem around, you know, uh, culture, environment, social and economic outcomes. And I think that's where the journey that Aotearoa is on right now is kind of exciting, you know, to lose point. I think we live in a time, you know, we, we live in a gift where we can actually start creating and reimagining 
what business, how life, how society, how industry operates here in Aotearoa and COVID's giving us that. And I think that, you know, to Tim's point as well, the why and the what, once we're clear on our kaupapa, then we can start thinking about, well, then what is our exchange? What is that opportunity? I was um, speaking to uh, some people the other day, actually in Canada, uh, on a social value, social capital kaupapa, which was pretty neat. And what we talked about was how do you measure the soft stuff, which is hard? And I was talking about an example. So this is an agritourism business on the banks of the Whanganui, a Blue Duck Station. And their measurement of commercial, cultural, and environmental success is the return of the blue duck. And so the blue duck is a marker in Aotearoa for pristine environment, pristine and pure water. And so when they started to see the blue duck return, Amanda, they thought, whoa, our business model's working. Our operating, uh, our operating model is working. We're doing okay. And as the blue duck population has increased, then they're starting to think this agritourism concept is really working. So shout out to blue duck. Kia ora, those heartwarming stories of like, you know, there, there really is something about measuring our impact. Um, so I guess, you know, the, as you're saying, that the business as usual approach to social environmental concerns is, is uh, simply insufficient. And sometimes the financial business case, well, frequently the financial business case misses the social and environmental impacts of activities in the wider stakeholders and frankly we're not that great at uh, identifying and measuring those things but government and the private sector must consider that impact as part of their core business model so how do organizations align their kaupapa with their impacts that's a, a really great question first of all i will apologize if my internet is unstable. I've tr I'm in a hotel and I've tried to get them to come up and give me a cable, but they've given me another router, which is not so good without a cable. But anyway, if I have to move on to my mobile phone, I will. But um, I think that your question, um, Amanda, is really, really a, a, a challenging one for any type of business, whether they're a large corporate, a social enterprise, a whānau enterprise, a community enterprise, even a charity, is how do you actually tell the story of your impact? And how do you align that with the activities, the kaupapa of what you're doing? And often it's quite overwhelming for organisations because there's all of these different frameworks. We've got the sustainable development goals on one side and we've got the living standards framework here and we've got all of these things. But actually when it comes down to it, we should be trying to make it as simple as possible by saying, how do you link the activities, the things that you do with the outcome the change that occurs as a result of that activity. And that should point you in the right direction of the long-term change. So as Tracy said, the blue duck, you know, the white bait, whatever it might be, is if that's the marker and you can feed everything back from that, then that should be as simple as it is. Now what you've got to do is you've got to figure out how do you get your organisation to understand that, how do you get the investors to understand that, the consumers to understand that, all of that, which is highly, you know, that's where the complexity is. 
But if you as an organization are quite clear on that, you can then start developing the communication strategy alongside it. And what it's been really fascinating, we've done a lot of work with very large corporates over the last six months or so, which is getting right back to the simple. What is the activity that you're doing and what change do you think or you are hoping for as a result of that activity? And then you start to say, well, and how will we know, as Tim said right at the start, how will we know whether we're on track to get that? What's the indicators? And then from there, you start collecting the data. And more importantly, you start looking at that data and learning, are we on track? Are we, do we think that we're there? And if not, what do we need to change as a result? Because it's not just good enough to say, here's my sustainability report and here's the things that I'm doing. That should be a guide for your business on how to improve versus just a communication um, strategy that you have with a, an investor or whatever it might be. It should be informing every decision that you're making as an organization rather than just something as a stake in the ground at that moment. So that's, the, the, I think, where we need to get to. Government have got a long way to get there as well. They well know this. Living Standards Framework is a, is a great document on a great website. Is it being implemented within government at, at, at every level? Absolutely not. What needs to happen for that, for that to occur? Culture change. <laughs> so cap capacity, capability within agencies that then flows into the economy through procurement activity, through deep partnership with the, the social services uh, sector, et cetera, et cetera. That's the stuff that we think is the powerful bit. That's not gonna happen in a week, in a month, in a term. It's gotta be something that we all collectively focus on and look to that long-term goal, which might be a generation from now. But actually, that's where we have to get to. And that's what's exciting, I think, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, because everybody's looking at us globally because we're already starting to have these conversations, which is great. I'll quickly jump in on that one. Um, I totally, totally agree, and I think I, I can't remember which of uh, my amazing uh, co-panelists made the comment, but organisations are nothing but a collection of individuals who are choosing to align themselves around the same activity for a shared goal or shared vision, and th that's the, that's exactly the key to purpose. It's it's the the story of JFK going to NASA and asking the janitor, "What are you doing? I'm putting a man on the moon." Fantastic. Well, you're you're kind of cleaning the floors. How does it? You know. That, that's the non-obvious link that you need to create. And, and the blue duck or, or, that, or that one, you know, the one thing, because work and, and life is complex enough. And, and if you've got all these measures you're trying to, how do, how do we make the world better on so many levels? It's, and it's, you know, it comes back to, um, I, th I think it's Aristotle, you know, at the intersection of where your talents, abilities and skills lie, uh, meet, a, meet a human need, therein lies your purpose. And, and this is the same for an organization. You, you have infrastructure, you have capital, you have human capital, you know, money, people, um, buildings. How do you align that around a vision of making something better? Because you can. And, and once you get that alignment, that's when you, you, know, you get that feedback loop internally so that employees go, actually, there is meaning in me turning up to work today. There was a, a YouGov survey from, from the British government. I think like 38% of employees in the UK feel that their job gives them no meaning. And in fact, their job is probably making the world a worse place. And then we wonder why there's a mental health crisis globally. So if you can flip that, and, and exactly as Lou said, you know, 
it, it might be non-obvious the good that you are already doing. But in most cases, there will be some good that you're already doing. And if you're at the beginning of that journey, latch onto that. And, and then you've got your pathway. And, and that's how you bring people on the journey. And exactly as you said, I did some work um, a few years back with COGO or Conscious Consumers, as they used to be called. And we were trying to engage large retailers in New Zealand to say, you know, this is a trend. You, you, you need to be aware of this. And the, I guess the most aware of that group would, would say, we know we need to do this, but we're scared to start doing this because we're scared of what people will say that we're not doing, you know, we're not perfect. And, and, and I think people have to get over that and realize that people will want to support you for trying to do the most good that you can do. Um, so yeah, just go start, start doing some good. Yeah, Amanda, just a, a couple of comments. So agreeing, of course, and going like this, oh my God, great conversation. I'm loving it and making notes. Yes, yeah, so thanks for the conversation and for letting me join. Do you, you know, there's this whole um, myth and constraining thought that says, I can't do good for my environment and for society or my community if I make money. Do you know? So it's not binary. It's just, it's actually and and. And I'm just thinking about, you know, from a, a Maori perspective and a Maori uh, business and economic and enterprise perspective, uh, we've always very generally uh, been bound by a premise that how can I improve the quality of life for this and future generations? So do I want to go down in history as somebody who made some change and could be pinpointed as said, well, you know what, Trace did some cool things back in the whenever. And so I, I think that that's an example of how you can be co-papa focused and still very profit driven and then look at improved outcomes for your environment and look at improved outcomes for people over time and generations and recognizing that, you know what, hey, we're not going to be able to do this on our own. And we are going to be able to do this because we, we seek out or we attract or are attracted to like-minded leaders, individuals, organizations, and, you know, form that sort of whānau approach and collaboration. I'm just thinking about declaring that I'm a shareholder and part of the Wakatū whānau, you know, in the top of the South, where 40 or 50 years ago, some of the uncles and aunts uh, came together and thought, it's time to get our land back. It's time to do some cool stuff for our people. And they made a commitment to not only grow, to, or say that again, they made a commitment to growing business, securing and growing the assets and growing new people. And you know, now you can see a whole lot of very cool, very smart, very qualified individuals coming out of there. And so that whole idea of what's my purpose, what gets me up in the morning, how can I contribute better to society, isn't just about this time in this context, in this economy. It's very much being there over time. Now we have words for it. Now it's more acceptable. Now to lose point, people are feeling okay about saying, I wanna be doing some work in organizations with teams and people who do some cool stuff too. And I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'd like to just add about the whole profit bit. It's, um, you know, it's, it's something that we, we address a lot. You know, we are a absolutely for-profit, non-for-profit. It's what we do with that profit is important. And I, I hope the wider economy, and I think this is happening here, it's just, you know, maybe not as quickly as I would like, is that profit is seen not as the destination, 
but as what the enabler to the destination. It is one aspect that is really important because in order, if you are a business trading a good or a service to deliver positive social and environmental outcomes as your primary purpose, you need to be financially sustainable to be able to do that. So therefore, there is nothing wrong with focusing on profit. It just cannot be of, for the expense of the people and the planet. So it's about how do we use profit as the enabler to the destination and that we start to think about it as just one of you know, one of the parts of our kipi. It is something that is really important because it gives us the choices that we can make to be more impactful. If it's removed, it becomes very, very hard to maintain your impact. So that's something that we have to be able to say is don't shy away from being profitable. Understand what you do with that profit and ensure that you're not doing, you're not putting the expense of the people and the planet. Um, and it does, that doesn't come after the, the profit line. It should be as an enabler. And I think that that's slowly um, and certainly in some parts of our economy starting to be understood a little bit better. Because I doubt any global, big global company is not going to have their primary purpose written on their website to say we make money. That's not happening anymore. 50 years ago it might have been, but not anymore. It's not acceptable now for a consumer or investor to see that message. It's what is done with that profit to be able to deliver to a kaupapa or a kuka. Yeah, uh, and you know, to that point, Amanda, uh, completely agree. I think as well, it's the um, investment windows and timeframes. So, you know, if we're wanting to grow communities, strong, solid, happy, safe, healthy, wealthy communities and people, then it may well be that as organisations, either individually or collaborations, we're prepared to make a 10, 20, 30 year generational commitment and thereby leveraging change, you know, sustainable change. But I, I completely agree that the conversation around profit has changed. And I think to boards, as recently as last week, I was in a board meeting where we were making calls about the makeup of teams and our, you know, our plan and our work plan based more around uh, contribution, value and vision and, and how do roles and responsibilities morph and flex in order to achieve those shorter order return, returns requirements and timeframes. So if leaders, if boards, if executives, if managers, management are, are prepared to take a bit of a breath and step into that space, uh, it's highly likely that the you know, that their that, that, that ecosystem approaches will provide a more kaupapa focus, kaupapa return profile. Sorry, Tim, because I could feel your brilliance reaching out across the... I'll take that. Um, I guess yeah, what, one point I just add to what Lou was saying is, I think we're in a transition period and we're still, that there is a little risk right now of businesses still, we're making money, but we'll... <clears throat> we'll have a sausage sizzle on the weekend and we'll give that money to charity. And it's like, mm, yeah, cool. You're doing some good with the money you're making, but the end point is, you know, regenerative business and, and put, putting, you know, cause it kind of feels like, you know, I guess this is right in Lou's um, area with the sort of the social enterprise sector, you know, it's, you've got charity at one end, business on the other end, make money, do good. We, we got to get to the middle where, 
if you're not, you know, the analogy I use is, is if we were sitting around a campfire 5,000 years ago and, you know, the ladies are all being nice and respectful and helping each other. And I come in and I kick the campfire over and I, and I throw all the food, you know, out into the, into the dirt. It's not long before you go, hey, Tim, you're not really being much use to us. Um, in fact, you're making our life really difficult and we're cleaning up after you. Could you stop doing that? And, it, and to me, that's kind of what we need to be having at, at, at this corporate level is some of you are causing these problems that the charity and social enterprise sector are picking up the pieces with. And so I think we're in this transition phase. So I think, yeah, exactly as Lou's saying, like, don't be scared about making money, but you know, banana armor, it ain't what you do. It's, it's it ain't what you got. It's, it's what you do with what you got or whatever, a poorly referenced song, but it's like, it ain't what you do. It's how you do it. You know, it's like make the money, but do the good on the journey. So instead of having these multi-billionaire philanthropists, then choosing, well, we're going to go and solve this problem do the good on the journey and, and be less focused on maximizing profit. Cause this is, this is a question I've thrown out to people. Who was the richest person in America in 1969? No one knows. No, no one, people do know, but no one gets the answer. Okay. I'll make it easier. Who was the richest person in the world ever when you adjust for currency and um, inflation and all that stuff? Nobody knows. So his name was Mansa Musa, and he was the emperor of Mali from 1280 to 1320 or so. Okay, so who wrote and delivered a speech in the USA in 1969 about having a dream for a better future for a group of people? Martin Luther King, everyone knows. So people won't remember what you had, they'll remember what you did and how you did it. And I think that's the, that's the mindset shift for business is, you know, who, who, who was the third listed company on the NZ or third, you know, top listed company on the NZX last March? No one knows, no one cares, but people will remember the organizations that have taken a stand and have chosen to do some good in the world. And I think that's the mindset shift. Every day's a school day when Tim's on, now I know about Marley, there you go. Um, but I, my challenge is to Tracy actually as a, as a governor, um, you know, one thing that we've seen in, um, in COVID times is this real harsh treatment of employees, you know, is that organisations, large organisations were putting dividend payments above um, being able to pay their employees. And the challenge in that is how do we shift that? How do we actually say an organisation is valuing employees to a point that they should sit in a P&L? They should be an asset in an organization because an organization without the people running it or the people in it is not an organization. So how do we move this you know, measurement of profit, this measurement of, of business success? And you know, we have this thing called a profit and loss statement that actually is you know, it's relatively new in the, whole, in the scheme of, of, of our economy. How do we actually put co-couple within that? What do, what do people mean when, it, when we look at that list? You know? and, and Tracy, I know that you're probably driving that conversation at, you know, on the boards that you're at, but what is the response from the maybe the more conservative side of the table of that which you sit and thinking about the, our assets as a different thing, as, a, as, as, as valuable in a different way than maybe what we have in the past? Yeah, outstanding issue because uh, some of the boards that I serve on when Wuhan hit started to come through in December last year uh, moved really quickly uh, in terms of flex and form around and in, in response to what we now know as COVID. 
Uh, one what case study I mentioned, uh, one of my boards um, met in urgency through COVID when things were starting to lock down, when borders were shutting um, and ports were closing um, nationally and internationally. And I was encouraged that I wasn't the first one to say, how are we going to look after our people? And so that whole conversation was, how do we look after our people so we can save the business and we can protect our assets rather than the other way around, Lou? And that was hugely encouraging. I think to the, and, and so what we've done through there is supported families, changed hours, changed conditions, reviewed contracts, and, and that whole, you know, pulled all of those levers that you typically see uh, within an organisation and management system. Some of the others haven't been as committed to the essence and essential, you know, the business essentials being people. And so, you know, to the earlier conversation that we were having about what's the most important people thing in the world, it's people. Easy to say, great to see on an annual report, when challenged, people revert to type. And so that's required a number of fairly adult conversations about what's important and, you know, taking people back to what we have put in values within the vision and really challenged um, at board level what that means and then how do we enable and support a chief executive and leadership team to make best decisions for people because when business turns around and it will we've still got our teams and our skills in place it has also required in some cases um, people to take a good hard look at themselves look and to decide whether in fact they're the right people for this time and or roles and responsibilities. And that's been challenging when people have chosen not to make those best decisions for themselves or the organisations they lead or participate in. And an acknowledgement, celebration and support for those people who step into other roles. That, that's why for me, I think um, highly well, very deep or high level purpose work um, as an in individual work should be mandated for all senior leaders and, and boards of every organization because you can only see as far as you can see with the knowledge that you have and with the, with the level of awareness that you have as an individual. And if you look at all the, right now, some of the amazing people doing great work and, and challenging the status quo, it's because they have been on their own purpose journey to actually work out, well, who am I and why am I here and how do I contribute? And that's that's kind of where I start the conversation with a lot of organizations, because as we said, an organization is a collection of individuals with a shared goal. Well, for you to for you to push the boundaries of that goal and that vision and to start thinking in a hundred year business plans, you, you have to be a different person. So I, I think that's the big challenge is, you know, is how do we get more people to be more aware of who they really are and what they could really do in the world rather than just have this, you know, this narrow industrial education focus that most people are, you know, most people, are, you know, you're only as aware as you, as you are aware. And so if your focus is on making money, which is what the broader industry is focused on, which is what the broader economy has been focused on. Well, you're well within your rights to be sticking to that lane because that's what, that's what everyone's doing. But I think it's, it's, helping people transition. I mean, it's interesting, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the fifth uh, level of the hierarchy 
um, most people would say, yes, it's self-actualization. And, and I'm sure there are many highly self-actualized self leaders out there in, in, the, in the business community. But it's not, what's not so well known is just before he died, he actually redid his hierarchy and he had a sixth level, which was transcendental purpose as the peak of humanity. And, and this is the thing for me. It's like, if you, are, if you have truly transcended who you were to become who you could be and be truly purpose-led, you would not um, allow there to be any suffering. You would not allow there to be any pain in the wider world because you are designed to serve and make better. And that for me is, is the key. That's how we, and, and this is where I think COVID provides a great opportunity because you don't find purpose in, in the, when the times are easy. You find purpose when times are hard and you're challenged and you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? What's happening? So that's my hope is this, we've had like a collective global shakeup of, oh my word, what does this all mean? Hopefully that work follows. So, yeah, I agree with you, Tim. Like, you know, sometimes our learning edge or frequently our learning edge is in the crunchy times. It's in the challenge, not in, in the, um, uh, you know, the normal flow of daily events. So we've had lots of corridor around the different types of objectives that businesses can have, like shout out to Wakatu in terms of their amazing succession planning. Um, and the, the, the general move to, in uh, Māori done towards the, the, the mokopuna plan, which is that really long-term uh, kind of approach. Um, also profit maximisation, innovation, providing a service, you know, these are all different kinds of objectives that businesses can have. So how can uh, organisations ensure that any short-term objectives that they have um, aren't sacrificing their long-term co-papa. Like, how do we connect those two? So we often hear around um, uh, the, the corridor I hear, and in, in, especially in terms of companies, is that uh, directors and managers have a responsibility to their shareholders to provide. Um, a, a return, whereas the Companies Act actually says to act in the best interests of the company um, as opposed to specifically provide a return. I would argue that the longevity of the company is acting in the best interest. But yeah, just chucking it out there. How do we connect that short term with the long term? You know, to, to try and make it as simple as possible <laughs> in a very complex world is we have to value what we value. You know, how do we value the kopapa? And not and the and that's the greater we at an economic level. How do we do that? So if if you're an organisation that is purpose led and you're selling a good or a service that contributes a positive outcome, how is the person buying that, valuing that that impact? How is the investor who invests in that company so it can scale its impact value that impact? And if we're starting to see that in a collective economic um, you know, uh, grouping, <laughs> we've got the ability to actually start to see where we can accelerate that. Because it's very, very difficult if you're just a little island in the middle of nowhere and you don't have the connections, you don't have an, you know, a, a market which values your impact, you don't have an investment uh, conversation to have, you don't have the consumers who are values aligned with you. We've got to think bigger than just the organisation. We've got to think of where that organisation sits, both from 
an economic standpoint, a cultural standpoint, a, a societal standpoint, and certainly at, at, at an environmental standpoint. So it does come back to that, let's value what we value, and let's really discuss that and be quite clear on where, where, where is the breakdown of that? What are the things that we should all be focusing on in order to get a society that's prosperous? And an, an environment that is going to be you know, the gift that we want to give our mokopuna in the future. And this is the stuff that I think we can have the conversation about and then we need to move it immediately to action. Yeah, I agree with that. I think too, Amanda, you know, I'm thinking about a Māori incorporation and the King Country Centre, the universe, my home. Um, and they have been operating for almost 120 years. The, and they're still running the same strategy that their tūpuna set, which was basically look after the land, leave the business in a better shape for the next lot who are coming through, you know, help the community. Pretty straightforward. They're fairly simple, straightforward and kind of universal strategy. And what that uh, outfit does is in terms of its work plan, that's where the flex is. And even a short term uh, intervention, you know, or crisis or risk response uh, is, uh, responds within the architecture of those PO. And that's where the, you know, simple stuff's complex because we've made it simple, if that makes sense. That's my Irish papa. And so uh, that's what they've been doing. So, you know, when COVID hit, um, primary industries um, been able to, you know, be quite strong and robust through it. So that's very cool for them. However, they still reviewed their 120 plan, you know, their 120 day plan. They adjusted as required, they reviewed, they shifted, uh, activities, priorities, or outcomes as they needed to, but the strategy remained the same. And I think, you know, when Māori are challenged, or even Indigenous people and Indigenous-led and owned enterprise around how can you have a 100-year plan or a 500-year plan, for us, coming back to that whole, you know, much-used and universal kaupapa of looking after our people, who aren't going anywhere um, helps anchor that. That was yeah, that was exactly going to be my. This is this is where my degree in medieval history um, comes in useful in the purpose context because, you know, th this is the challenge with with the modern world. We're, we're so, you know, we struggle to stay focused on a thirty second video on Facebook, let alone look at that contextually within the five minutes of our life. Let alone consider that on the thousand year connection. Um, this is something I'm really, so I'm, I'm part Welsh, half Welsh. And so you might be able to see that's the Welsh dragon flag. And when you, you kind of go, well, it's, it's a flag that was made, you know, maybe a hundred odd years ago, you know, not very long ago, but the, the, the dragon is linked to Uther Pendragon, who they think was, if King Arthur existed, he was his dad. And you go, cool, where did he get that, the dragon from? Well, he got it from the Draco Legion, which was a Roman legion in Britain in about the 400s. But where do they get it from? Well, they got it from Dacia and they can't actually go far back enough to trace the origins of that dragon. And so I, I'm wearing these every day because for me, I'm, this is part of a 20,000 year heritage that this is now me and I'm carrying that. And thinking about well, what, what is the, the guy, or you know, my mum and dad's mum and dad, mum and dad, mum and dad from 20,000 years ago, are they 
watching me right now going, what is he doing? Like, why is he destroying his, his local environment? Like, why would you do that? And again, I think that's, that's more broadly this, this sense of this connection, that, that individual purpose piece. Like, the, the, the chances of you existing as a human are actually infinitesimally, in so infinitesimally small that you shouldn't exist. Like, the fact that your mum and dad stay together long enough to have you, the fact that, you know, the sperm and the egg that came together were you, and that's from an unlinked chain of however many thousands and millions of generations of unbroken genetic material that has created you, there's something in that. Like, don't waste the opportunity that you've been given just making as much money as you can because you're not going to make the, the most amount of money in the world compared to a lot of other people anyway. Use this, this talent, this skill, this opportunity that you've got in the context of a small blip of your maybe 90-year lifetime to actually make it worthwhile. Um, so I think, yes, yeah, that's that contextual piece of let's, let's look at historically what, what have been the trends you know, in, in what we're trying to achieve so that you can then look at the indicators more broadly and work out what well, are we on the right track to maintain or, as Tracy was saying, make better what we know we could make better. I just want to come to, we've got um, a question here from Sarah Mickelson. Uh, it's a question within a comment, really. Uh, she says that impact measurement sounds easy when you all talk about it. <laughs> uh, but when there are so many tools that are often still vague and so many jazzy graphically designed reports from huge companies, I've read many, many uh, attractive annual reports in my life. Um, it's intimidating and overwhelming, and it's hard to know where to start. So has anyone got any, um, any facado, any support they can offer Sarah and everyone else who's confused about all of these different ways we can measure our impact? Yeah. It's, a, it's a question we get all the time, not only from the really big guys, um, but also from, from the, you know, the small startup organisations who are just like, you know, how do I navigate this stuff? It's so, there's so much. And even for us as an organization, you know, this is our bread and butter, right? You, you, you kind of think we'd be very, very good at it. Well, it probably took us a good year to do what we call it our impact framework, which is our theory of change. What change are we delivering as a result of the activities that we do? And we're just about to publish that as a journey story um, because we think it's really important to show that even the experts can find it difficult. But it's, it is about that just starting off. And um, I can put a, a link in um, to, to the chat of um, a toolkit that we've just launched on a, um, a platform called Social Shifters, which gives people some resources to start that journey around what is the impact, the, uh, you know, the purpose, the kaupapa that I am trying to achieve. And then how do I go about step by step starting to figure out um, what, how do I measure it? What does it mean? How would I tell the story, et cetera? So there, there are lots, you know, there's lots of other tools out there, absolutely. But I think just being able to start slowly, um, don't start at the end with a let's cut and paste the SDGs and just try and you know, align our activities because we all know when that happens and we all read those annual reports and go, really? <laughs> You've got 12 SDGs that you're delivering to? <laughs> you know, wow. That's a bit overwhelming. You know, you should be thinking about what is the primary one? What, what, why are we actually here? There might be lots of secondary, tertiary, all ones, but let's focus on the one to start with. Let's just understand that. And when we've got that and we can 
measure it and we can provide the commentary and the story around it, then we might have the ability to move on to the second one. You know, don't try and do it all at once. So I'll, I'll put a link up, um, but you know, this is what we do, it's what Tim does, you know, there's lots of great organisations who can help along that journey, um, asking maybe questions that you might not have thought about. And the last thing I'll say is that when we go into particularly big organisations and help them on their impact journey, we're not an expert in their business. We don't want to be an expert in the business. All we'll do is ask questions because they've got the answers. The communities in which they operate certainly have the answers. Um, so it's just about getting them to articulate it through an impact lens because often they've thought about it only through a commercial lens. So it's moving to the next phase. So what does this mean? Um, so, you know, yeah, it can be overwhelming, but try and make it as simple as possible. Obviously, being the B Corps guy, I'm going to say just go and take the B Corps assessment. So, um, B, letter B, impactassessment.net. It's free to take. Um, it measures your operational goodness across five criteria. So your governance, your um, employees, your social impact, your environmental impact, and then your customer or business model. So it will give you, it'll, it's like a, an online assessment to ask some of those questions around what are you doing in your business and how are you doing it? And it will at least give you a benchmark of where you're at. And if you get over the 80 out of 200 points that you need, you can press the button, you can pay the money to certify. And that's, that's, I think a very achievable way of at least measuring the good that you're currently doing and proving it. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm such a big fan of it. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my advice. <laughs> We've also got uh, another comment in here from uh, Nige Cox, um, who says he's really enjoying it. Thanks to our panelists. Um, but he's got a question around NGOs. Uh, so NGOs, you know, there, there's not a focus on profit and uh, in general, and actually for some charitable organisations, you can get penalised for having um, having reserves or profit. But people are working hard, um, often in difficult areas, they're in crisis with limited resources. So Nigel wants to know, how can we provide kaupapa or purpose when there can be a high level of burnout? It is a really big issue, and certainly as an, you know, a for-purpose, not-for-profit, <laughs> you know, with a charitable status, a small organisation, um, you know, trying to do, you know, make a lot of change. You know, it's something as a, as a leader in the organisation, I'm really mindful of is how do we look after our people to be able to do that with limited resources, you know, which we we, we all have. Um, and I think it's about, and you know, and Tracy will be able to offer the governance view of this is. You know, how do we really use the understanding of the impact, the co-puffer that we have, to actually drive the right decisions that we make about what we focus on? Because once you know that, you can strip away maybe some of the stuff that isn't delivering impact, that isn't making the change that you're hoping to, to have, and really double down on the stuff that does. And if you're telling that story to your employees about the change that they're making, then hopefully they're starting to really see and um, see see that within themselves and the role that they have. And so it's about you know really driving and you know, getting that collective buy-in, the collective drive towards the impact, and and being able to be honest that you can't get this straight away. 
that it might take you a bit longer. You might be focused on the 500-year goal and understanding that that change takes time. So I think that there's lots of things we we can do better, of course. We can all be efficient. Look what COVID's done for us. You know, we can all we don't need to get on planes and, and travel to have these conversations anymore. But it's also important that we also take the efficiency in what we're actually trying to do and focus on the stuff that really matters because that gives the purpose to the person and hopefully helps address some of this burnout. But it's not the it's not the only answer, right? It's it's, it's everything that and, and, and Tracy, I'm sure that you've been seeing that at the governance level about how do we make sure that we are looking after our people, whether it's a non-for-profit, whether it's a, 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 a large um, corporate and everything in the middle. Uh, definitely. I, I think a couple of things here. So supporting what um, uh, Lou's saying, a, a couple of things, you know, and having worked in um, not-for-profits and leading one in many ways in terms of the work that we're doing with FOMA, I mean, um, NFPs have a have a sense of needing, you know, my experience of the two that I'm thinking about wanting to be all things to all people and getting everything done are on a limited resource, limited budget, and a very small team. And I suppose starting out and understanding what your ten or co-papa is, what your actual fundamental and functional purposes helps, and then to be able to say, well, what are the two or three really important big things that we can do right now to affect change aligned with our co-papa has been one way in two cases with organisations that have either been on the board or in the team has been helpful. And that's required a, a certain level of discipline to be able to say no well and with aroha as well as saying yes well with aroha as well. And that discipline's been huge. I think the other thing too is that Looking after people is, you know, soft stuff's hard. And making that commitment, real commitment in terms of your vision and focus and function is critical. And sometimes boards uh, forget that when they're looking at their financial reports and our end of years, uh, which Lou's talked about before. I think the other thing too is that the, uh, the idea of... Um, alignment and collaboration with like-minded organizations so if I can't do it but maybe Amanda's outfit can is also an emerging um, ecosystem model that works and not only in terms of sharing the load and providing strategic and partnership support but also to be able to say we can together affect change and improve the quality of life for these people and all these communities or country. Some random thoughts there Amanda. I'll add a couple more random thoughts. Um, I think a large number of people working in the not-for-profit sector are working with potentially harrowing situations. They're, de they're dealing with other humans in the worst times of their life. And that just ta that'll take its toll. Um, so, you know, look at how can you look after yourself? How do you keep your own positive energy and vibes going when you're maybe, you know, dealing with a lot of with some confronting, uh, challenging issues? Um, I think the other thing is, you know, if changing the world was easy, they'd all be doing it. It ain't easy. That's why a very, very cool group of crazy diamonds are choosing to run that path and, and do it. So, you know, you, you've, you've chosen a really hard path and, and doing it in a manner that is hard to make money to keep sustainable is even harder. Um, 
but I think that the thing that, um, and I say this, I'm, I'm currently, well, I have been doing some consulting work for a charity who we are trying to morph into a social enterprise. Um, and myself and, and a colleague who, who are working on that project, we both come from corporate backgrounds and we, we're both clear that there is more ego and competition in the not-for-profit sector than there is in the corporate sector. So my, my, my colleague is a former um, like senior level employee at a large global tech company and he would, he's saying like, if we, if we rang our competitors, Microsoft, we, we'd be able to get a meeting with the team to deliver the project and we both share the spoils, life's good. For the last six or 12 months, we've been trying to navigate the, the, some, some uh, non-competing, uh, so even operating in different areas of the not-for-profit space, but there's, there's a lot of territory and patch protection and it's, it's almost like we want to be the ones that solve this problem and we don't want to let anyone else help us solve that problem. So I, I think there is some mindset shifts that need to happen in the not-for-profit sector. And I think Kilmarnock Enterprises, who Lou knows very well, I'm not sure if Tracy knows of Kilmarnock, um, like they, they have kind of proven that, and I guess Arkina themselves are, are proving that you have to have a mindset shift in how you operate and you have to be just thinking in a different way to be able to mold and, and, and create the impact and look after the people. It's, it's a, that's a, Nigel said, I think, on a really big challenge for the not-profit sector. And the risk they have is that as corporates are getting on this journey, they're going to solve the problems, which means the not-for-profits are going to struggle to, to know where to be because actually the corporates are, are not causing, or, or more broadly, people are thinking more, more holistically about life. So, so what happens to our future? So I think, there's some, I think that's a whole other session that you could unpack some of that stuff on. I could totally have a whole other session around how the funding models and not-for-profits encourage that uh, lack of totally. cooperation and collaboration. Um, this project we're trying to launch, we've been turned down by a lot of funders because they say, no, your, your uh, business model is too commercial. Yeah. So, so you mean and we're going to... Don't get me started that we only, that, you know, as a society, we only look at charities from the fiscal aspect, you know? Totally. Let's actually That's talk about the positive contribution that they make. Yeah, we're going to make some money so that we don't have to come back to you to ask for money from you ever again. You, you don't want that. It's, and, but then you go and look for investment and they go, yeah, but you're a charity. Ooh, you're not very commercial. You, know, you, don't, you obviously don't understand how to make money. So it's, it's, it's tough in that sector. I get it. Big, wicked problems of the world. Um, but that's all we have time for uh, today. Um, uh, I just want to thank our panellists Tracy Hopapa, Louise Aitken, and Tim Jones. I've loved the corridor, I love the Ficaro. Uh, you know, just my takeaways is being Kopapa led is a journey for both individuals within organizations and for the organizations uh, themselves. And we need to be sharing more with each other and um, living our values. Um, I'm going to take away that transcendental purpose. That's totally awesome. Thank you very much, that, Tim. I feel like I've had an educational today. Uh, so thank you again, all panellists, for your generous time, energy, and contributions. And thank you to our attendees for being present with us today. Um, this webinar is the last in our series on Kaupapa for the Brian Philcott Research Foundation. Um, which publishes uh, studies by Bell staff and partner stakeholders, um, both pro bono and with funding from our partners. So our series has included a podcast with Daniel Barr from BitForward. Um, we've had articles, guest articles by Billy Matheson of the 
EXP Agency and Maria Ngawati of IndigiShare. Uh, so the rest of the series can be found on the BIRL website um, at www.birl.co.nz under our foundation. And this webinar will be uploaded to the website so you can watch it again or share with others who are interested. Um, so coming up in November, the next topic in the series is accountability. And I can already see the overlaps in the corridor and going to be asking some juicy questions of our um, thought leaders in that space. So, uh, nō reira, hei o nō, taku mō nei that's all for now. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening in to my podcast. As I say, I'd love to know where you are on your journey in pursuit of purpose. And if you've got any questions that you'd like me to try and answer for you or people you'd like me to interview on this podcast, please do let me know through a message or a comment. Also do connect with me on other social media platforms. You'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. For more information about me and what I offer through my business, Grow Good, you can also go find me at www growgood.co that's growgood.co if you want to get in contact with me my email is really easy tim at growgood.co i'd love to hear from you until next time go well and keep on pursuing your purpose